Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Keith Borey. And Keith manages multiple roles as a real estate investor, broker, and insurance sales director, all while serving as a full-time W-2 sales director. His company, Bobo Capital Ventures, specializes in affordable housing and mobile home parks and multifamily spaces. And since 2005, he's diversified his investments from residential rentals to office buildings, multifamily properties, mobile home parks, home flipping, and short-term vacation rentals. So Keith, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on your show. No, thank you. The pleasure's ours. So Keith, can you start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Sure. So I got started in real estate really as an a real estate agent and started working uh, in my 20s with Coldwell Banker and then Eventually opened up, uh, after about four years, opened up my own brokerage, Newcastle Real Estate. And this was all pre-2007, 2008. So I had a little, uh, you know, had had my brokerage opened, was uh, really starting to do well. And then uh, 2008 came along. And so I, I stumbled a little bit. Um, we had, at that time, had an office building, a small office building that we uh, that we owned. Uh, and then we also had a rental property at that time. Um, I ended up selling the rental property. We ended up letting the office building go back, which was uh, not what we wanted to do. But uh, just, you know, it was like uh, from an income being my primary income coming from selling real estate, uh, all of a sudden, you know, the spigot was kind of turned off for us. Um, so we kind of navigated through all that. And at coming out of that, uh, Aileen, what I did is basically decided that I needed to go back to school and uh, and look at you know possibly changing the direction for at least my primary source of income. So I've maintained my brokerage over all these years, uh, but I did go back to school. Uh, my brother weathered the storm of 2008 a lot better than I did. Um, and he was uh, in copy sales as a sales manager. So I went out looking for a sales management position. I'd always enjoyed sales. And that's how I got with this insurance company that I'm with uh, here today um, and started with them as a sales manager and then eventually moved up to being a sales director. Um, so with that said, we sort of have started to rebuild our portfolio since then. So in 2014, I bought... Uh, a 10-unit apartment complex, a three-unit apartment complex. And then from there, some small multifamily uh, duplexes. Uh, and then we moved into the mobile home space uh, in, I guess that was uh, 2020, we uh, closed on our first mobile home park. And since then, I've bought a, bought a second one. I'm actually going to be closing hopefully here next week uh, on a 20-unit that we're currently under contract on. 
So Keith, going back to when you first started, so in the very beginning was uh, being a real estate agent, was that, was that the first job that you had coming out of school? That was, yes. What led you to go into real estate to begin with at that age? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, well, it's kind of funny because being that I'm, you know, we specialize in mobile home parks. I was actually in mobile home park sales, so selling the homes at one of the mobile home park lots. And most of the time, it's difficult to find uh, a place to be able to put mobile homes because obviously, with zoning and different things, you can't just put them anywhere. So I, I worked with a lot of real estate agents while I worked there. And that's sort of what turned me on to, you know, possibly getting my real estate license. And so once I decided to make a move, I, I went out and got my license. And that's where I started with Coldwell Banker. But it all started really with uh, just trying to find a spot and working with agents to put the mobile homes that I was selling. Do you think that in today's environment, like if you were to go back, do you think you need to start off with getting a real estate agent's license first before getting into uh, investing in real estate and doing what you're doing today? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it worked okay for me to do it that way just because it gave me some experience. But I, I would say that, you know, without a doubt, it's not necessary. Um, in some cases, you know, I have to do a lot of disclosing since I'm a licensed broker when it comes to like even this deal I'm working on now, you know, making sure they know I'm not representing them. And um, so there's some legalities uh, associated with representing yourself and, and being a licensed agent that you don't have to worry about if you're not. So I, it's not necessary. Um, I think it did help with me just because it gave me a good in, good idea of contracts and different things, uh, being able to value certain properties as well. I learned a lot of that through my real estate agent journey. So in 2007, 2008, when the whole real estate market went through that tumultuous time at that point and you had to go back right. to school, um, when you were looking to get out and figure out what you wanted to do afterwards, what ended up leading you back to real estate instead of, you know, because it was a couple of years before you went back and bought your first couple of properties after that? So um, I always wanted to continue to to build up what I had had. I was very proud of what we had built uh, prior to 2008. And unfortunately, when your you know your primary source of income is kind of turned off, you know it doesn't do justice to your credit <laughs> and different things. So I, I was rebuilding my credit and everything once I started my uh, my W two position, and just as soon as I was in good shape again to be able to start purchasing is when I uh, went after and made an offer on the ten unit. Originally, that was rejected by the seller. Uh, because I didn't have a ton of money to put down and I was asking him to carry the note. So we sidebarred that. And then I found this three unit that I went to to purchase. And just about a week before we closed on the three unit, the owner of the 10 unit came back and said, hey, is Keith still interested? Um, he was working through, there was a guy running my real estate company uh, while I took on this W-2. And uh, what was neat about that is, you know, he let about a half a year go by and then he decided to come back. So I think from as far as being patient and, you know, putting offers out there, just knowing that even if it doesn't work out the first go round, there's an opportunity that it can come back to you. So within a very short period of time, I 
had to borrow against my 401k in order to to close that deal. I uh, wasn't planning, obviously, on closing two deals back to back at that particular point in time, but it was uh, it was a great move for me. Can you share a little bit and talk about, you know, especially when you have to make a big shift in lifestyle careers, it's a big moment, a big move to completely do something that is new to you that you haven't done before. Since you were in real estate, you were in real estate, you had your own brokerage before. Now you had to go get your W-2 job, work that. At that point in time, like, I guess what was going on through your mind to, you know, get through that point and then get yourself grounded once again so that you can continue moving forward and set yourself up to be able to get that first 10 unit and then three units into where you are today? Yeah, that's another good question. Um, you know, I'll tell you, it was humbling. Um, just going through the 2008 timeframe was extremely uh, humbling. I, you know, we destroyed our credit during that period of time. In addition to that, um, we were able to sell all of our properties uh, except for uh, the bank building. And I wasn't on the note, so that didn't didn't necessarily affect my credit. But, you know, credit cards and stuff like that, I had to stop paying on. Uh, in order to just get by and make sure that we were paying our mortgages and the the things that uh, were kind of tied to our credit. So it was a humbling, humbling time. I also went through a divorce uh, during that time. That in itself was also uh, very humbling. So a lot of, lot of challenges there. Um, and so going through all that, you know, the last thing I wanted to do, to be honest, is have to go and work for somebody else. I you know, from the time that I started working as an adult, had my own business. Uh, so to have to go work for somebody else was a bit humbling, uh, but it ended up being a really good thing at that specific time in my life. So I hope that answers your question. No, thank you. So what did you do this time around when you got back into real estate? You rebuilt the credit. Now you have the mm -hmm. W-2 to support you to you know, have that recurring income coming through at the same time. What did you do differently this time around as you started building up your portfolio again? I think the biggest thing, as you mentioned, is just having that consistent income coming in. You know, uh, our sales when I was in real estate were good until it was until a certain spot where lending was more difficult. Back in the 2007, 2008 timeframe, you know, you you could go and uh, what I specialized in was uh, acreage home sites where somebody could build a custom home. And back then, they had all different loan products. They had 80-20 loans. They had stated income loans. They had all these things that sort of dried up. Um, it's not that people weren't still buying stuff. There were still folks that were retiring. And um, this was in New Braunfels, Texas, which is a great retirement area. It's a beautiful area, actually. Uh, you know, people were still retiring there, but it just, it was the numbers just weren't there that like they were before where you know just a first time home buyer could have purchased uh out there or buy maybe their second home a growing family or whatever um i don't know if i answered your question or not on 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 that piece of it so in terms of like uh you said that before 2007 like during that time the credit was impacted at that time when you're going into real estate uh in 2014 when you started buying your 10 unit 3 units did you do anything different in terms of leverage or anything like that did you look at um how you were borrowing money a little bit different was there anything you did differently this time around 
Yeah, I would say I kept a little bit more of a buffer. Um, as far as leverage, I didn't do necessarily anything dramatically different there. Like the three unit I purchased as an FHA, which meant, you know, only having to put down three and a half percent. And the concept behind that is I was living in one of the units, kind of what they would call house hacking now. Um, but I was living in one of the the units and the repairs on that one then moved to the, another one of the units uh, and in the process renting uh, renting the rest of them out. So there wasn't a whole lot there as far as the difference on on the leverage used. It just it sure helped to have that steady income. That was really the big uh, differentiator between 2007 uh, when my all my income was tied to to the market basically. So fast forward to 2020, you got your first mobile home park. What led you to moving from the apartment units, the 10, three um, duplexes, and then going into mobile home parks? Yeah. So what uh, I started to look at was um, I look at the market every single morning. Um, our I have access to the MLS system, which is, you know, it's going to give you small multifamily, single family, all that good stuff. And so I look at it every morning um, and I had found one that in running the numbers, I'm like, wait a minute, this actually cash flows really nicely. Um, And so I ended up, uh, you know, making an offer on it. And actually it was under contract and I put in a backup contract, which was a great move because the original one fell through, which put me in the primary position um, as a second buyer on it. So that one was really cool because I, and it kind of was a proof of concept for me because I took that one full cycle. Um, We sold that one last year and um, did really well with it. And so that was sort of the kind of led into, you know, getting this 20 unit as well that strategy, you said you put in a contract and then you put up a backup contract. Can you share like, what does that mean? What that, what did that entail? Sure. So what that means is basically there was already a buyer uh, that had money at the title company uh, on this particular property, but in Texas, and it's different from state to state, but in Texas, we have something called the option period. And that's the period of time where they can basically have the inspections done, that kind of thing. And then if they are not happy with what comes back in the inspection, you can either renegotiate or you have an option to back out and not lose your earnest money. Um, I was in a position where I put in something called a backup offer and eventually it became a backup contract because the seller agreed to it. And that required me as the buyer to put earnest money at the title company, just like the first buyer. Uh, and it was sort of just held there. And, you know, it could have obviously if the if the original person would have went ahead and closed on the property, um, then at closing, once that property is closed and funded, I would have received back my earnest money. And, you know, my contract never would have, um, you know, become an actual contract. It was just in a backup position until then. So do all deals allow to do a backup offer with it? Or are there specific deals that you have to negotiate up front or bring that up forward before you're able to do something like that? Um, You know, you don't see it quite as much in commercial transactions, even though this was a commercial property, uh, but it's pretty common in residential and small, smaller multifamily. Got it. So, um, 
when you put in the backup offer like that, there is not really any risk unless um, to yourself, if the original offer was accepted, you would just get your earnest money back and then you would just move on essentially. Yeah, that's right. You know, obviously you have some money tied up for a little bit if you find another one. So you just have to, you know, make sure that that's not going to prevent you from moving forward with a different property. Um, and then I also had the option period as well. So if I found a better deal uh, and then this one said, okay, you're in first position now, I'd still have the ability within that option period to cancel and get my money back. So really from a buyer's standpoint, there's not a whole lot of downside. And quite honestly, from the seller's standpoint, there's not a lot of downside because as they're negotiating with the person in first position, um, they can, and they, I'm sure do let them know, Hey, I've got some, I've already got a backup contract on this. Are we going to come to terms? Or are we not? You know, it gives them a, a little better, better position, uh, from a negotiating standpoint. So Keith, what's next for you? Yeah. So, uh, we are in the process now of, uh, being able to raise capital for larger deals. So everything I've done up to this point with, uh, myself has been my own uh, money. I've done some partnerships and stuff like that, but not raised outside capital as far as doing a syndication. Um, and that's really what's on the horizon for us. And so we're going to be looking at doing some mo uh, mobile home park fund and uh, giving people an opportunity to invest alongside of us passively. Are you still finding the good deals in, in the mobile home park space or do you find that the deals are much more harder to come by? Is it more of a saturated market? It's not as saturated as, say, multifamily is, is my experience on it. That said, uh, are the deals hard to come by? You know, the 20 unit that I uh, am under contract on right now, I have been working with this family for three years. <laughs> So, and there's a lot of, uh, it's it's some kids, uh, it's a mom that's currently still alive. And then there's, uh, you know, the sons and the daughters. And so there's a lot of people trying to work through to get the deal put together. So it took a lot of time. But again, that was one I found directly uh, from, you know, prospecting directly to the owners. Um, so oftentimes my wife and I'll go out and just drive mobile home parks in this area. And then I've got you know, software that I can look up the owners and be able to reach out to them and try to prospect for it. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. There are still deals out there. There is, um, you know, similar to multifamily, still a little bit of a chasm between ask price and where, you know, the property really needs to be priced. Uh, but, you know, there's still deals happening and, and transactions going through. So it's just a matter of being persistent. So Keith, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Hugely. Uh, I mean, I went from uh, take it take back after the 2008 time frame, and quite honestly, uh, before getting into the W two or you know, right at the time frame, I was just gone through a divorce. I was basically you know broke uh, at that particular point in time. I mean, I had income coming in, uh, you know, through my jobs, but aside from that, no wealth in a period of a very short period of time, um, due to some of the decisions I made with the 10 plex, the three plex, the duplexes, and the, and the buying of the real estate, um, it allowed me to grow my wealth substantially. You know, you have appreciation that works for you in addition to the cash flows. And that appreciation was very good to me over the last decade. And Keith, what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? 
You know, I heard somebody say this on my podcast and and so I'm going to steal it, but uh I think it's it makes sense to uh, to kind of say this during this time frame. A lot of people are trying to time the market right now. Um you know, if you go back and and look at folks that have built empires, a lot of them happened right in the turmoil that I was going through. Uh, in 2008, you know, a lot of people say, gosh, I wish I would have been a buyer back then. Uh, well, right now is your opportunity, right? So it's not, uh, the saying is it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. And I think I would uh, buy quicker and, uh, you know, still smart, but buy quicker and hold hold on to the properties. That's the other thing I guess I would say a little different. I wish I wouldn't have sold uh, some of the properties that I've sold, you know, uh, there's ways to, you know, get money out through doing a cash out refinance, that kind of thing that I probably uh, would look at doing differently this, uh, you know, if, if I was to do this again, uh, and hold on to some of those properties, because they're only going to continue to uh, recognize appreciation. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? You know, I think grit and persistence is one of those that really separates people. Um, you know, I look at, uh, you know, everything from the house that I'm I'm sitting in um, to the uh, 10plex coming back, this 20 unit that we finally gotten uh, to this point after three years of just being uh, persistent with it. A lot of people just wouldn't have done that. And you know, I just, so just being persistent, I think, makes the the biggest difference. And then doing something every day with respect to trying to move the ball forward uh, in your real estate investing. So, Keith, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, so they can find out more about me. I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm the only Keith Borey on LinkedIn. Uh, same thing with Instagram and. We also uh, Bobo Capital Ventures will take them to you know our our ability to be able to invest with us, uh, and then if your audience goes to uh, Bobo that's B O B O C V for CapitalVentures.com. Um, I also have a, an elite habit tracker that I put together for uh, a deal that I'm going to be in this uh, this month where I'm one of the speakers uh, talking about habits and kind of uh, being able to uh, kind of put together the, the habits that will uh, make you successful. So. Awesome. And Keith, you also mentioned your podcast and so the wealth flow. And so if you haven't checked that out as well, it's a fantastic podcast where he does interviews and has um, some other great content as well. So be sure to check him out over there. Absolutely. Yes. I forgot about the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Keith. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate you. Yeah, I appreciate being on. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. 
Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.